0: The i turns me to 2 Kings chapter 17, a rich little passage there we're going to talk about today from the nation of Israel. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you again that your word is so rich, that it is uh, so contemporary, that we can look at things that happened thousands of years ago, and we look at the newspaper and read the books that are being published today, and we see... That Satan is still up to the same stuff, and you're still calling us to the same obedience. And I thank you for that great wisdom that we have like no other generation does. Now help us, Lord, to be good stewards of the wisdom you've given and made available at least to us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. A.W. Tozer one time said, The wheels of God's justice grind slowly, but they grind uh, exceedingly fine. In other words, God is just, but his justice is not always immediate. You don't see defiance of God one day and judgment an hour later. Most of the time, there is a delay between action and consequence. But don't confuse God's patience or the delay of justice as God's absence. One reason I think people compromise the Bible and leave the faith is because they forget that God's ways are always right, that his ways are always proven right eventually, even though maybe not pragmatically, immediately, but ultimately God's truth is Proven to be true, and those who believe and obey are blessed, and those who defy or compromise always fail. We see a great example of this in Second Kings chapter sixteen and seventeen. The backstory is that the people of Israel have been in rebellion against God for about two hundred years, um, roughly two hundred years, and by rebellion i mean when given the choice to obey god or to conform with the morals and the religion of the nations around them time after time after time the nation of israel chose the nations around them they would conform to pleasing people of that generation rather than pleasing the god who made them a nation and gave them a land and and is true and good they chose people now the reason is obvious again god's judgment is delayed people judge immediately but (laughs) and if you don't if you don't uh, uh, please people immediately they'll judge you in some way they may uh call you out, they may punish you and with a loss of a job, they may ostracize you, they may uh, uh dishonor you in some way, but it never works long term second kings chapter seventeen, the verdict is clear. uh Read with me now what happens after years two hundred years of Of disobedience, two hundred years where God has given them a chance to quit conforming with the world, quit quit conforming with the world, and live to please Him, to honor Him. In the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Assyria, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, deported the Israelites to Assyria, and settled them in the cities of the. Verse seven, this disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them out of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, because they worshiped other gods. They lived according to the customs of the nations that God had dispossessed before Israel and according to what the kings of Israel did. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord, their God, that were not right. They built high places in their towns from watchtower to fortified city. In other words, they just did what everybody else around them did. They followed the poles, you might say. The Israelites did secretly those things against the Lord that were not right, verse 9 um verse 10 they set up for themselves sacred pillars and asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree they burnt incense there and on all the high places just as the nations of the lord had driven out before them uh, had done by the way it's a, it's a it was the common thing in those days to believe that the gods were up in the heavens and so you would build your uh, your 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 sacrifice places your altars on the highest spot you go to the highest mountains top of the mountain you're, there'd be an altar there so you can worship God that's what the pagan nations did and so that's what the people of Israel did they did evil things angering God verse 7 verse 12 they served idols although the Lord told them you must not do this still the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law I commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants the the prophets. It is like today. Our world is so compromised morally, so defiant of God. And God's word is so clear. God's prophets have been clear In the Gospels, in the book of Acts, in the letters of Paul and of Peter, in the letters of John, in the the book of Revelation, it's just really clear God calling us out from among the people. Be holy, be distinct for me. And yet, people get sucked into this compromise to live by like the world. You must not do this, God said. Verse 14, but they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. These are the kind of people that would take a look at Romans chapter 1 and say, well, did God really say that, that those kinds of sins are wrong? They rejected, verse 15, his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their ancestors and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Following the surrounding nations, the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. They abandoned all the commands of the Lord their God. They made cast images for themselves, two calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed and worshipped all the stars in the sky and served Baal. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters in the fire and practiced divination interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel after he'd been very patient. And he removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained. Now the verdict is clear. For 200 years, the people of Israel had compromised with the nations around. They had chosen the morality and the religious approach of the nations around, and God was patient. God called them back. There was an immediate consequence, but now the consequences are being experienced full-blown. I thought about this recently when I heard a British author by the name of Louise Perry interviewed. Perry is not a Christian. In fact, she identifies herself as a secular feminist, but she has written a book called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. There is a link that we're going to attach to this um, to this devotion so you can listen to this interview for yourself as well. Fascinatingly, basically, she argues that after 60 years of seeing after 60 years, the impact of the of the of the feminist revolution and the sexual revolution, this generation is finally seeing the full uh, fruit results of that foolishness. Um, she writes, for instance, that uh, one of the greatest errors of the sexual revolution is sexual disenchantment, the, the disenchantment of sex. One author observes, as a feminist, she argues that sex means nothing for the liberal feminist. Sexual intercourse is just a form of physical. Uh, recreation. Sex work is just a form of work and any restrictions on either are nothing but outdated, patriarchal, Victorian prudery. Any way in which you want to express your sexuality is good, they say. By definition, a woman should be able to do anything she likes, whether that be selling sex or inviting consensual sex, sexual violence, since all of her desires and choices must necessarily be good. But for Perry, she says this simply is not true. Some desires are bad. Liberal, again, go on, going on, liberal ideology flatters us by telling us that our desires are good and that we can find meaning in, in satisfying them, whatever the cost. But the lie of this flattery should be obvious to anybody who's ever realized after the fact that they were wrong to desire something to hurt themselves or hurt others in pursuing it. Again, to quote Perry, Western sexual culture in the 21st century doesn't properly balance the interests. Instead, it promotes the interests of Hugh Hefner's in the world at the expense of the Marilyn Monroe's. Powerful men win vulnerable women lose this she says not as a Christian but as somebody who's looking at the science looking at the studies looking at the at the results her primary solution is is obvious people don't like to hear it but to anybody who believes in the Bible, obvious to, 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 to anybody who believes in the Bible, in order to change the incentive structure, she, she writes, we would need a technology that discourages short-termism in male sexual behavior, protects the economic interests of mothers, and creates a stable environment for raise, the raising of children. And we do already have such a technology, even if it is old, clunky, and prone to periodic failure. It's called monogamous marriage. This secular feminist has taken a look at the results of 60 years of the sins of the sexual revolution, and she says she's thrown down the flag saying the promises of the sexual revolution are lies, the results have been utterly destructive for men and for women. She argues in the book, for instance, that the average man and the average woman is actually different contrary to what feminism tries to teach she argues that the sexual revolution has really freed men to prey on women that that the only way for men to be able to be satisfied is to indulge their every desire but she talked about this demystification of what I would call the desacralization of of, of sex has been disastrous for men as well as for women. She goes on to say pornography exploits women and infantilizes, infantilizes men. Her solution, as I've already read, is Christian marriage. This is her last chapter in the book. She says that... Um, that a lot of people will agree with the first parts of her book. A lot of liberals will agree with it, but they don't particularly like it when they get to that last chapter because that sounds too much like Christianity. And if it's Christian, it must be bad. Because, of course, Christians are oppressors, and that's a bad thing. Kind of like starving people standing in front of a banquet filled with healthy food. They refuse to eat because they don't like it the taste of the solution in front of them. Here's a couple of bottom lines. First of all, Christians predicted in the 60s and 70s exactly what was going to happen as the result of the sexual revolution and the feminist revolution. Why? Not because we're so smart, because we just believe the Bible. We've read places like like 2 Kings 17, We've seen what happens when people throw out the commands of God, that God has not given us his commands because he's prudish or wanting to restrict us, but because he loves us and wants us, wants the best for us. And when we contravene his commandments, it is to our own displeasure. Today, 60 years later, we are reaping the whirlwind, which was sown, the whirlwind of 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 uh, broken families of objectification of women broken lives gender confusion and the rest the sexual revolution my friends ought to embolden christians not to compromise to the present culture there is a present culture that is always pushing that hey this is the progressive thing (laughs) Uh, radical feminism second wave feminism not first wave feminism and and the sexual revolution i mean that was progressivism that is the wave of the future if you're not for that you're not you're it's like you're against it. the evolution of human beings but christians have always said no the bible says god says and god is good and god is loving and you cannot sow the wind without reaping the whirlwind you will reap what you have sown Second lesson, bottom line, we've seen this movie before. The Old Testament is filled with bad examples from the people of Israel and others. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, Moses says, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Today, let me encourage you to choose life. Choose obedience to God. Take a look again at 2 Kings 17 and see the fruit of disobedience to God. They got away with it for 200 years. For 60 years. A lot of people in the United States, a lot of Christians in the United States were like, oh, it's a big deal. You know, is there really going to make that much of a difference? And today we're seeing the culture of the world uh, falling apart, lives being broken. So now let's be bold. Let's trust the scripture like never before and let's share the scriptures with others confidently and lovingly because we have a God who has given us his wisdom and wants what's best for us. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that there are people today uh, like um, this Miss Perry and um, Jonathan Haidt, who are not followers of you, but they're honest enough with the facts, with reality, with what What's actually happening? To come to conclusions that are very biblical conclusions. I thank you, Lord, that you make us wiser than. Uh, make us wiser than those around, if we just understand your word. So rise, raise up for yourself, Lord, a, a generation who trusts you, who trusts your word, who will not compromise, will not be bullied by a lost world. We thank you for your patience. This is through Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, again, I'm thankful for your following and um, hope that you find this encouraging. And if there's anything else you'd like us to address, Let us know and we will do our best. Until next time.